0: Today is our last day studying the book of Proverbs together. And um, we get to end with this poem about a valorous woman. Um, So Proverbs begins by teaching us to fear the Lord. It says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That's kind of the main theme verse of Proverbs. Um, And then in chapter 8, Proverbs invites us to listen to the voice of Lady Wisdom who calls out in the streets and invites the simple to turn and come in and dine at her house. So we've got the fear of the Lord and then this figure of Lady Wisdom. And now here at the end of Proverbs, as the book closes, we find a woman who fears the Lord and who has invited wisdom to come into her house. So, when the book of Proverbs is ready to tie the whole subject of wisdom up with a bow, when it's time to summarize all the ways of wisdom that we've learned, um, when it wants to illustrate the way of wisdom and what it looks like on the ground, it chooses to do so with a portrait. A portrait of an ordinary woman working from home, living out of a heart that fears the Lord. So, all those Hitty little sayings we've been studying are brought together into this one picture of one ordinary life. In all the ways we've talked about wisdom over the past few months, this valorous woman shines. So, if you've been here, I know we've got a lot of guests today, so uh, this is a summary of what we've been doing. Um, uh, If you've been here, you've heard us preach about hard work and laziness. And this woman in Proverbs 31 does not eat the bread of idleness. We preached about wealth and poverty and this woman uses her wealth to bless the poor. We preached about speech and this woman opens her mouth with wisdom and with the teaching of kindness. We preached about purity in the face of temptation and this woman is entirely trusted by her husband. And we preached about wise family relationships and this woman is blessed by her own children. So the themes... Of the whole book of Proverbs, all the teachings of the wise joined together into this one glorious picture of an ordinary, God-fearing woman. So let's go ahead and turn up the passage now. Um, It's page 552 of these Black Church Bibles, page 552. We're looking at Proverbs chapter 31, starting at verse 10. The ESV Bible has given this uh, section the heading, The Woman Who Fears the Lord, which is a good heading. Um, I expect most of you are are familiar with this passage. It's very famous as Old Testament passages go. Um, And if you know it, then I expect that you either love it or hate it, um, that you feel very strongly about it one way or another. If you love it, it's probably because it's so beautiful and so eloquent and such a lovely picture of a life well-lived. And it's so honouring to women. If you hate it, it's probably because you feel like it holds up an impossible standard. One that's nowhere close to where you actually live. Maybe you feel like this passage, particularly, just doesn't get your life. Um, And that's okay. Uh, One of my hopes today is to bring all of us to the point where we see this passage, wherever we live, as good news. That this is gospel good news. Um, And as we start out, Sarah asked me uh, if I'd show you something. So most of you know my wife, Sarah, who just did the children's sermon right here. Uh, I would be the first to stand up and praise her, but she's very far from feeling like she has it all together. So she wanted me to show you this picture from inside her house from a few months back. You got it, Nicole? There it is. Okay. Okay, so this is our laundry basket at home um, and the state it got to recently, Uh, Mount Washmore. Uh, Our children started challenging each other to see who could add one more piece of dirty laundry without bringing the whole thing tumbling down. Um, So maybe this is what your laundry hamper looks like, Uh, or maybe you could show us a similar picture of your dirty dishes, or your unmown lawn, or your mountainous stack of unread mail. And that's okay. Proverbs 31 is not about killing it all the time in every area of your life. It's not a stick to beat you over the head and make you feel inadequate. No, instead, it's a picture of the glory, the significance of a woman who fears the Lord. It's a picture of that glory, and it's an invitation to be like her by following in the way of wisdom. And then, indeed, it's a promise that if you follow the Lord, you too will share in this glory. Not because of your intense work, not because you're keeping life under control, but because of the Lord's work in you. All right, so those are the three things I want to explore today. Nicole, we can hit the back button and go back to the Proverbs slide. We'll save my second slide for a minute, thank you. Uh, So the three things we're going to get to today are uh, Proverbs 31 is a promise of glory. It's a picture of victory, and it's an invitation to wisdom. So first of all, Proverbs 31 is a promise of glory. So um, the last section of Proverbs, starting at uh, chapter 31, verse 10, is a poem It's a poem that's all one unit together. In the original Hebrew, it's an acrostic poem. It has one verse for each letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And in Hebrew, the acrostic poem form is used to describe something that's complete and perfect. And on top of that, this poem also has a structure called a heroic hymn. Okay, that's a technical designation. Hebrew scholars have shown that it's deliberately copying a well-known kind of song that celebrates the accomplishments of military heroes. Because like these ancient military songs to great champions, this song starts in verse 10 by declaring that its subject is something rare and precious. And then it goes on to list out her great victories and accomplishments. And then finally, it concludes in verse 31 with a call for her to be publicly praised. So that's just like a heroic hymn. This hymn is treating this woman like a war hero, like a champion, a culture-defining icon. She's the sort of person that gets their statue put up in the center of Market Square. And what has she done to merit this heroic, military, epic hymn of public praise? A lot of small, monotonous acts of daily faithfulness right so when you look at the details almost everything this woman did would have been invisible to most of the people she knew it's not the kinds of things that people watch you doing but this poem puts all these activities on display so it talks about her bringing her food from afar she goes grocery shopping she plants a vineyard she's gardening she rises while it's yet night and provides food for her household She's making breakfast. She considers a field and buys it. She's managing the family budget. She makes her arms strong. She's exercising and working hard. She makes sure everyone in her house has proper winter clothes. She has conversations where she's sharing wise and kind words with friends. She pays attention to what the people in her household need. And she's earned her husband's trust. These are the things that are held up in this poem. So think about what this poem is doing. It's taking a simple, ordinary life and turning it into an epic poem, a heroic hymn. It holds up her private heroics for public praise. It says, let her works praise her in the gates. So imagine that you pull into the carpool line on a Tuesday morning, and you're greeted with a military band and several major news outlets, and someone puts a microphone in your face and says, let me get this straight, did you get up while it was still dark, and fill all these children, feed all these children, and am I right in noticing that every single one of them has a winter coat, and did I hear properly that you're going directly here to have coffee with a friend who needs some wisdom and kindness? Ladies and gentlemen, this is why the president will be presenting this woman with a purple heart tomorrow. You heard it here first. <laughs> That's kind of what this poem does with this woman's ordinary yet extraordinary life, isn't it? And in this way, it's a little foretaste of heaven. Because like, friends, heaven is going to do this for all the children of God, right? Right? So in this world, the most precious and important things are hidden things. They're uncelebrated things. Things like faithfulness, honesty, patience, sacrificial love. Who praises you for those things? Where does your name appear in the paper when you do those things? Our world is full of treasure like this. But it's not treasure that's valued in our world's economy. And most of all, this treasure goes unseen, unrewarded, and uncelebrated. And I think we can say this is especially true for the work of women, even today. Men tend to get much more than their share of the world's praise for the work they do. Women work no less hard, and often much harder, but they get much less attention, as a general rule. But for both men and women, this world cares little for the very best things that we bring into it. If it celebrates us and rewards us at all, it's probably for stuff that's not the hardest or bravest stuff we do. And it's not the closest to the core of who we are. But will it be so in heaven? From heaven's vantage point, it will be the complete opposite. Get ready for the whole economy to change. Because when heaven celebrates the people God made, and I believe it will, It will be for the things about them that really matter. So when you walk through the streets of the city of God, the golden statues in the public squares will show a mother spoon-feeding her disabled child. Or a man giving his wheelchair-bound mother a bath. Or a young woman standing up alone in the inhospitable place God called her to because they feared the Lord. That's what heaven's going to celebrate. And wouldn't you rather be known there than here? And for real things rather than superficial ones? This passage in Proverbs 31 promises the invisible things count. They matter to God. Verse 30 clearly distinguishes between the visible and the invisible. It says, charm is deceitful and beauty is vain. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. This world will never give her the fruit of her hands. It's not going to. Heaven's going to. What is visible? What is obvious to the world? Whether you're charming, whether you're beautiful, but Proverbs says really that's empty. The fear of the Lord And the labor that it leads to is often invisible, but that's what's truly praiseworthy. So we begin to get that picture that from the Lord's perspective, small things done out of love and fear of the Lord are glorious, and they're worth celebrating. That's the first thing we see. Proverbs 31 is a promise of glory. Now, second, it's a picture of victory. So this woman's ordinary life is not only glorious, it's also victorious. Uh, So the poem begins in verse 10 with these words, an excellent wife who can find. Um, And this opening Hebrew sentence is hard to translate. Beth did a good job of giving us some of the other ways that we might say that in English. Sometimes our English versions have a wife of noble character. Sometimes they have a virtuous wife. Sometimes a valorous wife. Uh, The RSV simply has a good wife. Um, So there's lots of ways to translate what's going on in the Hebrew. The adjective that Hebrew uses here to describe this woman is the word chayil. Chayil. Right, you can say that with me, it's quite fun. You have to have some flame in your throat. Chayil. Good. Um, It's a word that has a much broader range of meaning than any single word we have in English. That's why we have trouble translating it. Um, It's used a lot in the Old Testament, and I think its meaning boils down to a combination of four big ideas. So, Nicole, we can have the second slide now. Um, I put these together in a little diagram for you. Okay, four big ideas that are are all in Chayil. The first idea is strength, which is physical strength, um, or alternatively, wealth, which is like social strength. So, sometimes a wealthy man is called Chayil. Uh, second, there's ability uh, or skill. Uh, third, courage, meaning a tenacity that doesn't give way to fear. Another word for that is valour. And fourth, and this one's the most important of all, integrity. A person who fears the Lord and so does what is good and right, both in public and in private. So if you put these four ideas together, strength, ability, courage, and integrity, then at the place where they all intersect, you get this Hebrew word, chayil. You get a dependable, trustworthy person who's brave enough to take on the world. Um, This adjective is actually used often to describe extraordinary warriors. Like for example, do you remember King David's mighty men? There were three at the top and then 30 and then a bunch more after that, but they, they they were like the marines of their day. If an important job needed to be done, in went the mighty men. They were unusually skilled and brave fighters. They were sent out on particularly difficult missions with particularly impressive results. The few, the proud. The chayil. (laughs) Um, And this word chayil is a word that Proverbs chooses to use to describe a woman who chooses the way of wisdom and the fear of the Lord. So, um... Uh, One of my favorite Old Testament professors, Erica Moore, uh, wrote a paper on Proverbs 31, and the title she gave it was The Domestic Warrior. She called it The Domestic Warrior, um, which is a great title. And her own translation in verse 10 is, A valorous wife who can find valorous, courageous, which I think is my favorite translation to use because the text paints this woman as a kind of warrior. The language of battle is scattered all through this hymn. And I want you to see it as we go through it. So look at verse 11. Verse 11 says, her husband has no lack of gain. And that word gain literally means no lack of plunder or spoil. Everywhere else it's used in the Old Testament, uh, it's used in a connection with a a victorious battle, taking the plunder, uh, the, the trophies of victorious battle. So her husband has no lack of gain. Next in verse 15, she rises while it's yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. That word for portions is literally prey. That's prey. She rises in the night and hunts for prey. So that's a picture of her being like a lioness. The lioness rises in the dark and hunts prey. And this woman is hunting down breakfast for her family. In verse 16, she considers a field and buys it. It literally says she seizes it. The word is forceful and determined. In verse 17, she dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. This verb for dresses is girds. She girds herself with strength, like she's preparing for battle. She's a woman of action. And then in verse 19, she puts her hand to the distaff and her hands hold the spindle. That might sound very domestic in English, like sleeping beauty spinning peacefully in her tower. Um, but the Hebrew verbs say otherwise. She sends out her hands to the distaff and her hands grasp for the spindle. It's forceful and intentional. She's grabbing the distaff and the spindle as though they were her weapons to fight for her family. She uses her strength and ability not only for the good of her own family, but also for the help of strangers in need. Because in verse 20, she opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hand to the needy. So that makes her just like King Arthur's knights or other valiant warriors who use their strength to defend not only themselves, but the powerless as well. And it shows her integrity. That all this work isn't just about selfish gain for her, but she truly fears the Lord and does what is right, both in public and in private. So the details of this poem confirm the assessment in the first line that this woman is chayil, according to our definition from before, because she has strength and ability and integrity. And verse 21 completes the picture by talking about her courage. She's not afraid of snow for her household. For all her household are clothed in scarlet. Or another translation of this is that they're clothed in double thickness. She's not afraid of what life might throw at her family because she's prepared. She has warm coats for her children as well as for her servants. So she's ready for whatever winter can throw at them. Verse 25 says, she laughs at the time to come. This woman is a warrior a domestic warrior. And we see that she's a force for good in her home with her children and servants and to her husband who sits in the gates among the elders of the land and to the local poor and to local businesses and to the surrounding countryside which she cultivates. Her steady influence ripples out from her home in widening circles. So the poem concludes that her private faithfulness deserves public recognition. Starting in the home, in verse 28, by her children and her husband, who see her at work, but then moving on out, in verse 31, to the city gates. Let her be praised in the gates. The gates of an ancient city were its strongest part. They would have had its highest and thickest walls and a garrison of soldiers stationed there. And that made the gates the safest place in the city for the king to hold court and for the city governors to gather for committee meetings. So let her works praise her in the gates means let this be told in the most public and important places in the city. Let this song be sung in the capitol building and the governor's club and the courthouse. Let it be known among the high and the great because this kind of wisdom and faithfulness is praiseworthy. Alright, thanks Nicole, we can go back to the Proverbs title now. So we saw first that Proverbs 31 is a promise of glory, and second that it's a picture of victory, and now finally let us hear it as an invitation to this way of wisdom. This hymn is the perfect way to end the book of Proverbs, because it brings this whole book of wisdom to a satisfying conclusion. Proverbs told us in the beginning that wisdom is better than jewels, And all that you desire cannot compare with her. And now here at the end in this woman's life, we get to see it for ourselves. This is where the road of wisdom goes. So we've got this little slide we've had the whole time. And there's two roads splitting off and there's a check mark by one and a cross by the other. It's encouraging you to choose the way of wisdom, the road of wisdom. And if you're wondering where it goes, this is where it goes, Proverbs 31. It goes to a destination of glory and victory. And that's a destination we all want for our lives. But, are we there yet? No, thank you. We're not. Looking at this picture in Proverbs 31, none of us could say that this is a perfect description of our own lives. Don't worry, no one (laughs) can say that. Um, Are we always this thoughtful, this disciplined, this savvy, this generous, this kind? I know I'm not. By human standards, this level of integrity and courage is impossible. No one gets complete victory over their private realm, however small we make the boundaries of that realm. The fall and the curse and our sin and our human weakness always get in the way. We don't get here because we get sick and we break things. We grow weary and exhausted. We get old and forgetful. We suffer loss and grieve and we mess things up over and over again. Stumbling falling and starting over. We're just not naturally at all wise. And this way of wisdom is foreign to us to the point of feeling impossible. But as we keep wanting it and we get up again and we set off again down this road of wisdom, we find that ahead of us down the road is a familiar figure. And it's Jesus. Jesus. We see that Jesus did it. He was wise. Jesus lived into this life of wisdom. He did it, what we couldn't do. Talk about strength, ability, courage, and integrity. Jesus healed and taught with the power and authority of heaven. He did nothing except what he saw his father doing. And his courage took him all the way to the cross. Jesus lived as a perfect high man, a mighty man of valor. The dragon that he rode out against was Satan himself. And Jesus destroyed that dragon. He conquered and he was victorious. So ahead of us on the road of wisdom, ahead of us, and even ahead of the valorous wife in Proverbs 31, is the son of God himself. Because Jesus didn't just live into the wisdom of God. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, Christ is the wisdom of God. And Jesus didn't just show us the way of this wisdom. He is himself the way. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And that means that following him is the way that we're talking about. So if Proverbs 31 leaves us wanting to get to this kind of glory and victory, then all this is really good news because you can have it. God has shown you the way to get it. It's the way of wisdom. And the way of wisdom turns out to be the way of Jesus. The way of discipleship. The way that we're already following. As we follow Jesus and cooperate with the work of his spirit in our hearts, our lives will automatically look more and more like this heroic hymn in Proverbs 31. Now the valorous wife didn't succeed by hustling. That's absolutely not the message of this passage. She succeeded by fearing the Lord. A woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Now this might sound straightforward and obvious, but I think we still get this backwards most of the time. We're really pretty stuck on the idea that we need to get ourselves into decent shape before we come to God. Instead of coming to him broken and messed up, we don't really like to do that. So as soon as we see something that's wrong, we think we need to work harder and fix it so that God will accept us. Maybe even as we read Proverbs 31, what you're doing in the pew is generating a list of New Year's resolutions. Like, I should really get up while it's still dark. But that's upside down. That's putting the cart before the horse. The message of Proverbs 31 is not fix it. The message of Proverbs 31 is not hustle. The message of Proverbs 31 is Here is what what will happen in your life if the most basic thing about you is that you fear the Lord. That you fear the Lord. The way of discipleship. It's not frantic activity. It's about following and abiding in Jesus. Do we know this? We say we know this, right? I say I know this, but I still find it so hard because what happens on busy days when I have a lot of important things to do, my first thought is that I should abbreviate my prayer time, my devotional time with the Lord so I can get started sooner. So instead of deeply attending to God with a listening heart, I'll rush off a few prayers, skim through my Bible reading, and then get on with my day. But when I do that, I'm choosing hustle over discipleship. I'm choosing to copy Martha instead of Mary. And I'm really giving up on the way of wisdom for that day, before the day's even started. What good can I really expect to be then? The litmus test is that the thing we drop when life gets stressful is the thing our heart considers secondary. The thing we consider less important. So I want to challenge all of us. Are we still really getting this upside down? Jesus made it clear that out of Martha and Mary, one of them was getting life right and one of them was getting it wrong. He said Mary chose the better portion, one that would not be taken away from her. So that's the invitation to wisdom. We need to trust that fearing and following the Lord really will lead us to victory and that just working harder, won't, not ever. So we find in Proverbs 31 that there's a promise of glory, that invisible things count to God. There's a picture of victory that private faithfulness is as courageous as military heroism and an invitation to follow the way of wisdom. We can follow this same road to the same destination, not by hustling, but by fearing the Lord. And Jesus will do it, friends. He has begun a good work in you and he promises he will bring it to completion. He says, if you set off down this road of wisdom, you're going to get there. But getting there is guaranteed in the setting out. So when we stand in glory, along with the hymns of praise to our eternal God, some songs will be sung by the angels that are like this song in Proverbs 31. Songs about you. About your faithfulness, as if you're a hero in an epic poem about the time you got out of bed to feed your family when you were exhausted. Or the time you resisted the temptation to sin after you'd had a really, really bad day. Or the way you never stopped praying to your good father, though he seemed to be silent to you year after year the way you kept wanting God most and kept choosing this way of wisdom, though it was hard, though it was much longer than you expected, and though it didn't seem to be going where you wanted it to go. This kind of song will be sung about you, about your life, not because you killed it every day, but because you set off after Jesus and kept going and didn't give up and you became an eternal trophy of his grace.